Welcome back to Win Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. And what I want to look at, at least right now, is first and foremost the Red Sox and their big news involving a pitcher who is no longer with the Red Sox, who is no longer coming back. I also want to look at the Patriots and I want to ask the question if they are an actual playoff team looking at last week's uh, game as um, some sort of a uh, precursor to see if they're actually playoff worthy or not. And then what I want to look at, in my opinion, is the Celtics and kind of just what's going on with uh, the Boston Celtics. So we're going to start with the Red Sox. And I want to look at Eduardo Rodriguez, who is going to be moving on. And what I want to look at specifically is the situation involving Rodriguez leaving and where they go from here. So let's look at all of that. So Eduardo Rodriguez was with the Red Sox for pretty much his whole career now. Um, and he was offered a qualifying offer of $18.1 million, which was for one year. And then he was going to be or could be an unrestricted free agent. Guess the thought process there was A, if he leaves, you get a draft pick, which is a compensatory pick. And B, if you give him a year, he sticks around, maybe you resign him, negotiate a deal. And it seems like by all kind of information, the Red Sox were willing to do that, but he ended up going in a different direction, signing with the Tigers for a deal that was probably a lot more than the Red Sox would offer. Five year, $77 million deal that comes with a $15.4 million average annual salary and can reach $80 million with performance bonuses, which was, uh, according to Charon Bloom, which he just basically mentioned today, that was a lot more than they could offer. And whatever the sort of deal on the table was, uh, if there ever was a deal on the table, the Red Sox weren't going to come close to that. And whether the Tigers end up regretting this, in the end of the day, I don't know. But at the moment, this is where we are at this point. And the Red Sox are going to have to stick with this uh, situation and take a draft pick, which, if I'm not mistaken, comes in between the first and second round, which is a compensatory pick. Um, the Red Sox also have a second round pick, and then they ended up with another one because one of their draft picks did not sign with the team, so they get another pick out of that situation. Uh, so for the team, I guess this is where they're at. So um, here is Cheryl Bloom's words, which our interest in having him back were genuine, but we also recognize that the interest on the market was really, really, really strong. It took things to a point that took him away from us. I thought he played okay, but I didn't think he was the greatest. And the fact of the matter is, this is where it ended up. And they weren't going to pay it, and I didn't think they should. Um, and uh, according to Chairman Bloom, it wasn't until the offseason got underway that it became clear how quickly Eddie's market was going to progress. I don't think it was particularly surprising um, in the end. So, hey, it is what it is. That's where they are. So, it looks like, for the moment, the Boston Red Sox are going to be looking at Chris Sale and Nathan Avaldi and a bunch of other um, kind of guys filling in, whether that be Tanner Hook, Nick Pavetta, and other stuff, right? And in terms of what seems like the play, 
Javier Baez has been coming um, available, and that's kind of one guy that seems like the Red Sox are moving towards for the second base shortstop infield situation that apparently is is a need or not a need, I don't know. Second base uh, is right now Christian Arroyo, and I think if there's an option to move um, Xander to second, great. If Baez plays second, great, and that's where they go. Uh, who knows? Um, there is rumors of potentially someone like uh, Justin Verlander coming in. Um, who knows if the price is right. But I do think that the Red Sox need another pitcher, as I said before, and that's what they should do. Kyle Schwarber is someone they can bring back at first base. Um, and again, with all this changing stuff, I think they do need a second baseman shortstop. Uh, so going out there and adding in somebody makes probably the most sense to me and getting some pitching um, makes the most sense to me as well and so as uh, somebody who is a Red Sox fan I feel like that's where they have to go from here and looking at the infield and sort of the outfield and just kind of where they're at in terms of the players we have um, a bunch of different pitchers maybe there's a, a guy who is uh, in the waiting minor league system Potentially could take uh, take over and be a starter. Who knows? For the infield, we have uh, Jonathan Aruz, who is a second baseman slash shortstop. He's 23 and potentially could have a future with this team. There is also Christian Arroyo, as I said before. Um, and then there is Hunter Potts. These are just potentially guys who could be in the majors. Hunter Potts plays third base. So... My guess, and this is just me, is that the Red Sox, if they sign, let's just use Javier Baez, um, he would play second or short, Bogarts would play second or short, you would have um, probably Devers at third, and if they can bring back Schwarber, that'd be great, he can play first, and then you would have off of the bench, probably Christian Arroyo, and then you would probably have um, Bobby Dalbeck as your other guy, he can play first, he can play third, Arroyo can play second or short, figure it out somehow, and then they would probably have to get rid of, or they probably would get rid of Jonathan Aruz, because you have no use for him now, and probably trade him for a pitcher, whether that's a starter, reliever, etc. My also sort of guess is that Connor Wong is probably going to be the guy who comes up and is the potential catcher long term in the back up spot or potentially starting over Vasquez. I don't know how good he is. So Plowerski is also a catcher. He's probably going to get traded for some draft picks or just another pitcher, depending. And then in terms of the outfield, they have Jared Duran, Kike Hernandez, Tim Lacostro, Hunter Renfro, and Alex Verdugo are five of your options. And I think that's probably what they're going to go with because... I think at the end of the day, you do have Kike who can play the outfield and the infield. So, you know, they're going to explore all avenues and go from there. So my guess is five outfielders potentially. Um, and even, I guess, uh, Schwarber could play the outfield if he comes back, which I hope he does. So Schwarber, uh, we'll see what happens. Ronda Rodriguez is gone. I have no problems with that. I am actually happy he is gone because I thought he didn't play as good. Get someone else in there and we see how things end up. So, moving on from the Red Sox to the Patriots, and we have Mac Jones and Patriots defeating the Cleveland Browns 45-7. to 
Mac Jones, 19 of 23, 198 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Brian Hoyer, 3 of 3, 85 yards, one touchdown. Ramondre Stevenson had two touchdowns, great game with no Damian Harris. Wide receivers, Kendrick Bourne had one touchdown. Jacoby Meyer had a touchdown. Two touchdowns for Hunter Henry. Very good game for him. We saw little to no play from Jonu Smith. Little to no play from Nelson Aguilar um, in terms of actually what they get, they got. Two for 21 yards for uh, Aguilar. Jonu Smith got nothing. Keel Harry won uh, reception 26 yards. So that is their situation. Um, other side of the ball, we saw Case Keenum played uh, 8 of 12, 81 yards, and Baker Mayfield 11 of 21, 73 yards, one touchdown, one interception, not that great. Cleveland was without their top running back because of Nick Chubb's COVID stuff. The Ernest Johnson, 19 and 99 yards. Uh, receiving yards-wise, Ernest Johnson was also their top receiver with 7 receptions, 58 yards, 4 receptions, 26 for Landry, and 4 receptions, 25 for Austin Hooper for the lone touchdown, Austin Hooper. Fumbles, we saw one, which was the Ernest Johnson, which was uh, recovered, and then uh, Baker Mayfield um, fumbled one um, as well, which um, was, uh, I think he lost that one. Um, in the game, uh, so, uh, no, actually, he didn't lose that one, um, but he did have an interception, so there's that. Defense, um, we saw Dante Hightower with a half sack, Dietrich Wise, one and a half sacks, half sack for Lawrence Guy, one sack for Tayshawn Bauer, half sack for Matthew Judon, other side of the ball, sacks, we got two sacks, one from Miles Garrett, one from Malik McDowell, Kyle Duggar was our lone interception, which was a 37-yard interception, Turning the ball for kicking-wise, um, J.J. Taylor, 1 for 25. Brandon Bolden, 1 for 14. Gunnar Oslowski was out, so they didn't have him to work with. Chase McLaughlin, kicker, 1 of 1 on extra points. No field goals. Nick Folk, 1 field goal, 100%. 38 was the long. And 6 of 6 on extra points because 45 to 7 was the score. Great game for him. Jake Bailey, 1 punt, 66 yards. It was in the 20-yard line. Jamie Gillen, four punts, 189 yards. His uh, average was 47 and two in the 20 uh, yards. I'm guessing that's in within 20 yards or less or something. So there's that. So now uh, they move on to where we are, which is the next week's games. And we are moving to the Thursday night game, which is Falcons. So Falcons, uh, this is Thursday night. And... Going uh, for them, I think that's going to be an easy one. Now, the question stands, can they actually get this done, and can they make the playoffs? If you look at everything going on in the NFL with the sort of standings and whatnot and kind of where they are in terms of the whole sort of playoff situation and maybe the not playoff situation, at the moment, Tennessee has the best record in football. They are 8 and 2, simple easy. Buffalo is second place, 6 and 3, simple easy. Baltimore Ravens are 6 and 3. Um, and then we have the Steelers who are 5 and 3, the Kansas City Chiefs who are 6 and 4, and the New England Patriots who are 6 and 4. So, I don't know how New England and Pittsburgh how that situation would work out. And in the case of Kansas City, they're in 
first place in their uh, division. So that's their situation there. But they're only a game uh, difference between the Vegas Raiders or a half game because the Vegas Raiders are five and four. I hope Kansas City just chokes it away because nobody likes Kansas City. And because everyone kept saying, oh, I don't like New England because they're good. I don't like Kansas City because they're good. Patriots um, are 6-4, and four, and they are a half game up on the Chargers, Vegas Raiders, Bengals, um, and a game up on the Colts and the Cleveland Browns. Well, they look like a real legitimate team this year, um, and that's probably not something most people want to see because if Mac Jones works out, then, yeah, nobody likes that, except for the Patriots and their fans, which I like it, but... Tom Brady was great. People didn't like that he was great. And now you bring in someone else who's great. The rest of the league probably won't like that. But I don't really care. So we have, at this point, in my opinion, the Tennessee Titans, who are obviously, like, top tier. And then you got Buffalo um, and Baltimore. And then the Patriots are in there in the mix. Um, in terms of the rookie quarterbacks, I think Mac Jones is the greatest right now. Trevor Lawrence is good, not great. I think Zach Wilson is out, so he's nothing. You have uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who keeps playing over Trey Lance, so Trey Lance really hasn't done too much. You got the second-best quarterback, in my opinion, Justin Fields. He's okay, but you got to look at where his team is. They're kind of at the the bottom, and, um, yeah, not so hot, right? So I think Mac Jones has kind of, you know, done what he needed to in New England to kind of get them to where they are, and, I mean, it's still his first year, but... Now that they have a quarterback that, honestly, the Patriots, I think, feel could be a future with this team, could have, you know, a long career here, they're going to now use their draft picks to build around him and use some of their assets to build around him because, you know, that's kind of what they did with Tom Brady. And I feel like, to a certain extent, Brady had a little bit more control over sort of the situation than Mac Jones probably will just because Brady was, like, the greatest quarterback in the NFL and still is and arguably the greatest of all time. See, that holds a lot of weight in terms of, you know, how you make decisions as, you know, for example, LeBron James holds a lot of decision-making power with his teams because of how great he is and that sort of thing. So Mac Jones might not get the same sort of ability to make those big decisions like Brady might have. But I think now Belichick can make decisions based off of what Mac Jones' skill set is, and they can build a team offensive-wise around Mac Jones and his situation. Now, I do feel like the Patriots need a defensive coordinator because it's kind of been sort of this tri-headed, you know, Stephen Belichick, Bill Belichick, and Gerard Mayo situation, which... No offense to Belichick, uh, he can't be doing the defense and running the team and all that other stuff. That's not really a head coach situation. And in terms of the fact that he's also kind of running the team in the general manager sense, kind of making trades and all that stuff, yeah, he can't do that. He can't run the defense and do everything else. And then in terms of his son, Stephen Belichick is not obviously there yet, in my opinion. And you also have sort of the, the fact that Gerard Mayo is potentially going to be someone who could take the the throne as the defensive coordinator someday but i just think if patriots want to actually be great again they need like a defensive coordinator who's dominant and matt patricia did that for a while and that's why they were good obviously you know they could bring him back but i don't think they will so getting somebody whether it's a college sort of coach who becomes the defensive coordinator 
a NFL defensive coordinator who comes to New England from a team that maybe it doesn't fit right and he's maybe a better suited Patriots coach. Who knows? But I think, you know, at the moment, Mac Jones is the perfect quarterback for this team. Obviously, he was great with Nick Saban and now comes here. And he's the ideal Patriots quarterback. And I think that's who they wanted going into this draft and the fact that he dropped because of the fact that maybe Trey Lance had something that the 49ers were looking for and Chicago moved up to get Justin Fields who was maybe for them a better fitting quarterback. Mac Jones slid to 15 which a lot of teams probably weren't happy about because if he came to New England a lot of teams would have wanted them to trade up potentially so that just kind of wipes out some of the future picks they have or players if they traded a player for it uh, obviously it didn't go that way so I think the Patriots they'll be all right but with Mac Jones it's not the same as Tom Brady where they can just plug in play guys who just aren't the greatest fit elsewhere and are the greatest fit here they need better wide receivers and obviously I think another running back is pretty good in my opinion because I think they have you know Damian Harris who's arguably the best running back on their team and they have James White who's older and I don't think he's going to be here much longer you have Ramondre Stevenson who can eventually be sort of that like Garrett Blunt third down and one sort of push to the goal line type running back and you need somebody else and I think if they can get another running back maybe get like a wide receiver number one like a dominant wide receiver number one and then kind of use him with Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, and Kobe Myers as your four core wide receivers, then I think that's what they can do. So maybe this offseason, when it comes, they trade a draft pick for a wide receiver, or they go out and draft a wide receiver with one of their first round with their first round pick or second round pick or whatever. I just think that the Patriots need something and another weapon for Mac Jones, and then they'll be okay. So We'll see what happens. I don't know where they're going to go from here. But at the end of the day, um, that's where the Patriots are. I think they're in a good situation. If they end up making it to the playoffs, which I think they 100% can, we'll see where they go. But I don't think any real team is uh, 100% dominant in the uh, you know AFC where it's one of those situations where maybe... Um, at the end of the day, things work a lot better for the Patriots than expected, and we'll see kind of where they go from here. So, I don't know what's going to happen with the Patriots, but that's kind of where we're at. So, moving on to the Boston Celtics for a minute. So, if we take a second and look at the Celtics, things are not going that good at all. It's just not been their season, and if you want to kind of go um, in sort of the, you know realm of the Celtics they're just not playing as good as they should be and you know they've kind of been up and down in terms of this season just under 500 Atlantic uh, standings fourth place the full standings um, not really doing that good right now they're a nine seed which means yes they're in the playing game but not doing the greatest I also like to point out that the playing game right now, 7, 8, 9, 10, are all teams in the Atlantic Division, um, with Brooklyn Nets being the only one in second place and the only one not in the playing game situation here, which they 
could not be because there's only four teams in the play-in anyways. But for the the Celtics, it just seems like things haven't gone their way. They've lost uh, lost to Atlanta. They split against Cleveland. They beat the Bucks. Uh, they lost to Dallas. They beat the Raptors. They've kind of been up and down with uh, you know Jalen Brown out, and it's just not a great situation for them. And I think you know going into the season where a lot of Celtics fans sat kind of first Kemba gets traded and then you know they're opening up what seems like cap space long term for a potential player and sort of these Bradley Beal rumors come up I feel like in the offseason there were sort of two sides to the Celtics story with one set of fans kind of being like yes this is where we have to go get another star kind of have Tatum Brown in a third star and kind of compete with sort of that trifecta and that was where I felt like I fit in and still kind of fit into. And then you have the other side of the coin, which is Celtics fans who are like, okay, we're going to keep Marcus Smart, we're going to keep Robert Williams, we're going to sign them to long-term contracts, we're going to have Tatum, Brown, these guys, and a good bench, and go from there. And that's sort of the other side of the ball, which to me wasn't kind of where I stood because I felt like you know the Celtics need sort of another star to be great. And I think this season is kind of proving, at least in my opinion, that the sort of coin or sort of side of the coin where a third star is the option might be the best choice in the end of the day. Because this season we've been seeing sort of everything going on causing the Celtics to not do great. And you have Tatum and Brown. And I think first and foremost, this season has showed us that, you know, maybe Tatum and Brown as a pairing doesn't work 100% because they're both very similar style of play right and if you look at sort of the the Celtics in their sort of big three era they had sort of the big man Kevin Garnett who did all the you know traditional big man stuff he was sort of a power forward center you have sort of Paul Pierce who was, did a lot of different things in terms of sort of defense and offense sort of a three and D wing then you had Ray Allen who was more of a three-point specialist who kind of was on the corner shooting threes and free throws and not really going to the paint as much and just shooting the ball. And I think the Celtics right now only have sort of that Paul Pierce model with I think Tatum and Brown being more of 3 and D wings. And I think that's not the greatest situation because I think you can have great 3 and D wings, but you also need sort of uh, other pieces, right? Because if you don't have a great point guard, which they don't really have the greatest if... You know, Marcus Smart is the point guard. That's just a problem in itself. And uh, Idame Udoka has come out and said once Jalen Brown comes back healthy, coming off the bench is Schroeder, which Smart should come off the bench. And I think, you know, one of the biggest problems that the Celts could have is if they play Marcus Smart a lot, which at this point he's deserved it for his career overall, but maybe not this season. Um, it could be a problem because I think Schroeder's been playing great and I think Marcus Smart hasn't. And so if you maybe put Smart on the bench or, you know, it might be a better situation if Schroeder starts because he's been doing a lot better. And so, you know, I don't think the Celtics have sort of that big three that we saw with the sort of Pierce Garnett, Ray Allen situation, which I don't think they can win with two guys who kind of fit that loose mold of Paul Pierce rather than sort of one guy who's more of a, a Ray Allen type and one who's more of a sort of um, Pierce type, which is not the case. So I think this season 
has shown me personally that they might need to move on from Tatum or Brown. And two, maybe getting in a third star might be the actual choice. Because if this season goes where they're, let's say, a 9 seed or a 10 seed and they lose the playing game and they're kind of in the 12, 13, 14 range for a draft pick and they're not the greatest team and there's no sort of future potential to move up, then you might have to get another piece in there and go sort of in that direction rather than being like, we're going to kind of keep this core together. Because, you know, if it goes to it, then we're going to see Al Horford probably get released or traded away because next year he is going to be somebody who is a one-year contract, which in any sort of situation where the Celtics go after some sort of a big fish, $27 million or $26.5 million is a great number to use as matching salaries. And then being a one-year contract, you can get out of that money. So I think the Celtics have a lot of questions, and I think the Celtics have a lot of things they need to discuss. And, you know, it might be time to move on from guys like Al Horford and guys like Marcus Smart and some of these younger pieces because none of the young guys, in my opinion, besides Robert Williams, actually done anything and I'm not counting Tatum and Brown because they're stars in my opinion but the Pritchard and the Nesmith and the Langford and Grant Williams these guys have really not done a ton besides um to me Robert Williams and so I think at the end of the day you might have to move some of these players get a third star in there and kind of fill your team out with sort of uh, a bunch of veterans and stuff and because Schroeder is a good contract I could easily see the Celtics keeping him around long-term as the de facto point guard with somebody else in there, Tatum Brown, and, uh, you know, another piece. And you could have sort of a three-star trifecta. Now, to me, Carl Anthony Towns is the greatest uh, choice because he is sort of what the Celtics need as a dominant big, play the center, and kind of a great sort of similar situation to Kevin Garnett. Not as good, obviously, but... You know, someone who potentially could repeat the situation with uh, Minnesota Timberwolves trading uh, Carl Anthony Towns like they traded Garnett to the Boston Celtics. It's an option. And I think there are other guys out there. I could see the Celtics trading Jalen Brown for Carl Anthony Towns. And if Bradley Beal is available, going after Bradley Beal in free agency, whether that's waiting till 2022 for this to take place and having Tatum. Carl Anthony Towns and Bradley Beal or doing it next offseason and keeping Schroeder as your point guard with um, with uh, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, somebody else in Carl Anthony Towns, whether that's another small forward and Tatum plays the four, whether that's a power forward and Tatum plays the three. I think that's what the Celtics need to do um, because I don't think they're going to win with this group. And as much as, you know, Marcus Smart is sort of the lifeblood of this team because he's been there the longest and he's sort of a veteran. It just doesn't make any sense to see him stick around long-term with this team because he hasn't proven himself this year and to be a great offensive piece, and he's more of an offensive liability. And his defense, to me, just is um, great, but the offensive side, he kind of just is not good. and It's a, an issue uh, at the end of the day for me because he is someone that just you can't rely on. And also, he just gets upset, um, especially got upset with Tatum and Brown getting the ball too much, and he made those comments, which is not a good thing because he's not deserving of it, in my opinion. Obviously, there are better players out there. Um, 
in terms of the Celtics and offense and stuff. And so I think um, the fact that maybe the team is putting Schroeder below Marcus Smart might be a big issue at the end of the day. And just looking at sort of the, uh, you know, comments, I go on Reddit and look at the, all the Celtics Reddit stuff, and I see a bunch of people who will talk about Marcus Martin, say he's great, and we got to keep him and all that. He hasn't proven this season to me that he's worth keeping, and I think for uh, the Celtics, it just is something that they got to consider moving. And so I'm going to say that they need a third star, and I'll keep saying that because I think that's the case. And this season so far has proven my point because they aren't good with this sort of core group. And if you go back to the offseason, you had a bunch of people who were kind of on one side or the other. And they were like, oh, well, we're going to keep this group and we're not going to, you know, trade away Jalen Brown. And we're not going to trade away Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. We're going to sign them to long-term deals, which to me doesn't really make a ton of sense now. Because it's proven with just such a short amount of games that that model is not going to work. And if you look at the best teams in basketball, at the end of the day, it's uh, a bunch of stars kind of filling in or two very, very good stars. And, you know, it's just not what the Celtics have, right? If you go to Brooklyn, they got two very good stars. And if Kyrie comes back, that's a third one. Chicago has Vucevic, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan. And sort of Lonzo Ball's the pseudo fourth star, if you want to go that far with it. Miami's got Butler at a bio and Kyle Lowry. You have Washington, who's doing great. They got Bradley Beal and a bunch of other great role players, which things are working out well for them. And it's just not working for the Celtics, right? Golden State has um, Steph Curry. They got um, you know a bunch of great players around him. Phoenix Suns have Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Utah has um, uh, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Mike Conley, who's sort of a pseudo third star, even though he's kind of older. Um, Dallas has Luka, who's just insanely good. So Celtics really can't compete. And to me, it just seems like they're kind of going down this dark path. And I just don't think they're going to stick around long term being a good team. And eventually they're going to have to decide to move on from some of these guys, get rid of some cap space, and kind of... um, go after sort of a potential big name in free agency um, moving forward. And I think, you know, maybe it's not 2022, but 2023. And I think you have to kind of do this while the, the, the iron is hot. Tatum and Brown are in their prime getting there. And you want to do it before either A, they get sort of this idea of potentially switching um, from being all in on Boston to potentially wanting to move somewhere else. So you got to kind of get this ball rolling before that. And also just because, you know, as you wait longer, there's the chance for things to go wrong with these guys. Whether it's a big injury that kind of derails them or they don't play as good for whatever reason. So I think this season so far has showed me that they need to do something. And keeping this core group together could be the end of the Celtics dynasty that never really got off the ground. And I think a lot of people are going to be if this fails, talking about what if, you know, because of the fact that we made the Eastern Conference Finals uh, with, I think, three of the last, or three, within uh, three out of the last four four years or something, now it's uh, three out of the last five, and it doesn't look like they're going to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals anytime soon, unless they make a serious move, which I think 100% needs to happen. 
And I think there are a lot of Celtics fans who might not be happy with it in the beginning because they like having sort of the young guys and Robert Williams and Marcus Smart and all these players. But I think when we get close and we get close enough, then they'll kind of flip their switch and be like, okay, um, I think I was wrong. And we needed these, you know, three stars to work. And it did. And I was wrong keeping Marcus Smart and Robert Williams longer than they needed to, right? And so we'll see what happens moving forward. And we'll see where the Celtics go from here.